Can you hear me now? Yes. Jesus. Okay. Hi. Hi. Jesus. Hi. 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 Um, we are having weird internet issues. Like all of our video, like anytime we try to play like a video on YouTube or something, it just stopped working. Oh my gosh. YouTube isn't working for me either. Okay. So maybe it's just YouTube. Maybe it's just YouTube. Yeah. All right. Rachel. (laughs) Grace. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'm Rachel. I'm Grace. I'm Rachel. No. Yes. <laughs> you are Rachel. Who are you? No, 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 no. Someone on your end said no. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> We're haunted. Okay. Oh, it's probably just Connor. I think he's out there. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome to the pod. Ooh. To the mm, to I'm the not pod. saying that. I'm not pod. saying that. I'm not <laughs> Uh, Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yep. You were supposed to finish the sentence. That was it. It's you. You did. <laughs> oh, okay. It's my fault. <laughs> you can't read my mind. <laughs> no. Look, look. Now I'm having to read your mind through your phone, not your computer. It's completely different. Oh, of course. Different, different mediums. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 Welcome back to the pod. Um, Myths so. and misfortunes. You know what? what it is. So Rachel, where, where, where are we? Wexford, Ireland. Yes, yes. Did you do um, Wexford County or did you do Wexford the city? I did Wexford the city, but some of the information is county relevant. Cool. I figured you would, cause mine is in the county ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, it's within the city, but like the the ca- county also. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. My sources are Britannica.com, SoutheastIreland.com, TripSavvy.com, and Wikipedia.org. Uh, so Wexford, Wexford, because you know, good old English Ford, is a town within the county Wexford, Ireland. Um, all that's really known about Wexford pre like 700 AD is that it was actually inhabited um, more than 6,000 years ago. Really? Really, yep. But this is really only known through the um, intricate stone monuments and artifacts that were left by the uh, predecessors of the Celts. Oh, okay. Wexford was founded about 800 AD by the Vikings. Not surprising, they found a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And was named Weisford. In modern Norwegian, Vi means way, so it's entirely possible that Weisford meant inlet of the way or way forward. Yeah. The city remained in Viking hands until May of 1169 when Dermot MacMurrow, who is King of Lanster, and his Norman ally, Robert Fitzstephen, besieged the city. The Norse residents resisted as much as they could until the Bishop of Ferns pers- persuaded them to accept a settlement with Dermot. Wexford was chartered in 1317 and in 1411 by Henry IV and again in 1558 by Elizabeth I. 
Wexford was then an English settlement in the Middle Ages and spoke an old dialect known as, I know I'm going to say this wrong, Yola, which just makes me think of Yolo. That is up until the 19th century. During this time, um, and the, because of the dialect, Wexford was known as Westforth. Hmm. Uh, fun fact, after the Crusades, the Knights Templar held a presence in Wexford, and this can, see, this can be seen even present day in the old Knights Templar's chapel yard of St. John Cemetery. By the way, we need to cover them. During, There's a lot that I found that I we know. need to cover. During the 1640s, County Wexford held strong support for Confederate Ireland. A fleet of Confederate privateers were based in the, ta- in the town of Wexford. These privateers consisted of sailors from Flanders and Spain, as well as many local men. They would often raid English parliamentarian ships and would give some of the proceeds from these raids to the Confederate government in Kilkenny. However, in 1649, Wexford was sacked by the English during the Cromwellian Conquest of Ireland. Ooh. It sounds so fancy, and I'm going to have to do more research into it. I'm sure it was not fancy, but just the way it sounds. Cromwellian Conquest. Cromwell. Are you part of the Cromwell clan? Hell yeah. yeah. Many citizens of Wexford lost their lives either during the sack or by drowning in an attempt to escape across the River Slaney. This is one of the many wars that occurred and was known as the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. It was known as this because it was between England, Scotland, and Ireland. Mm. The restoration of the monarchy kind of resulted from this, and the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland was the main result, but then it collapsed in... 1659. The county Wexford was center location for the 1798 rebellion against British rule. Wexford was held by the rebels throughout the rebellion and was a scene of a horrible massacre of local loyalists by the United Irishmen. 100 people suspected of being loyalists were round up on Wexford Bridge and run through with pikes before they were thrown into the river. Holy shit. Okay. Wexford then lost its charter in 1840 under the Municipal Corporations Act, but it was granted to the city once again in 1846. In 1906, an artificial harbor was opened at Roslair, which connected with Wexford by railway. The town's main exports are livestock and agricultural produce. After the 2006 census, the municipality was extended to include the built-up area surrounding Wexford. This, of course, greatly increased its population. Today, you can visit the city post-pandemic, of course, and visit the Tintern Abbey, the Clocklow Walled Garden, Bag and Bun, Bag and Bun, Bag and Bun Bun Beach, Slade Castle, and many more. There are also, like, so many beautiful, like, historical sites here, and honestly, just in general, Ireland is very green and very pretty and highly recommend go not today but go <laughs> um when you said an artificial um harbor like a man-made harbor i imagined the um in welcome to night vale where they built a harbor in the desert the desert that's, yeah that's yes. what i was imagining <laughs> it's so funny yeah that's i mean they, it was connected by railways okay so. okay okay what is your story because i don't know if I actually know it. 
Okay, so my story this week is the murder of Patricia O'Connor. Oh. My sources are an article, most of this came from an article in the Irish Times by Brian Cavanaugh and Alison O'Rourdon. I also got information from an article in the Irish Examiner by Alison O'Rourdon and an article in The Sun by Michael Doyle. Okay. So this case doesn't start in Wexford County. It actually starts in Dublin, but it makes its way there. So. Okay. I found a- How far away is Dublin? Uh, about an hour. About an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. I found a few stories just in Wexford, but they didn't really, they weren't really long enough, or maybe I just didn't research them enough, but this one had information really easily available, so I went with it. Okay. The O'Connor family is a multi-generational family living in a home together, packed kind of tightly, really. There were nine of them in a four-bedroom yeah. home in Mountain View Park, Dublin, which, like... That's not too bad. I mean, it's not great, but... No. There was Patricia and Gus O'Connor, their daughter Louise, their adult daughter Louise, okay. her partner Kieran, Kieran Green, their three young children, and two of Louise's older children from a previous relationship. Um, multi-generational. Definitely and, multi-generational. Yeah, yeah uh, it's pretty common all around the world, so I'm sure it's not hard to imagine, like, Look, in, in 2020, it's become more common. Extremely. And you can imagine all of the bickering and snarky comments here and there, of course. And in family, yeah. I mean, there's bound to be conflict. Uh, especially when you've lived together a long time and it doesn't seem like... And certain people may not seem to change their ways. Yep. Louise and Kieran lived with Patricia and Gus for like a long time, like around 10 years. And Patricia and Gus's son, Robert, so Louise's brother who mm-hmm. didn't live with them, said that the conflict mostly surrounded Louise and her family not helping with upkeep. Uh, and as mm. a former cleaner at a hospital, Patricia hated laziness, l- like, was really big on being cleanly and shit like that. Yeah. Things here really come to a head in 2017 when Patricia didn't get in touch with Robert on his birthday on May 30th that year. He mm-hmm. got in touch with Louise just to see if everything was okay. She told him that Patricia had stormed out of the house in anger on May 29th after an argument, suitcase in hand, screaming abuse, including, I'll be back when that old fellow pops his clogs, talking about her husband, Gus. What? Yeah. Pops his clogs? Pops his clogs. Um, Pops his clogs. Yes. That sounds like a euphemism. (laughs) I'm sure it's something. Having, it's something. having not heard from his mother two days later, he met Louise, Gus, and Kiernan uh, at their home. Being worried, he said that they should report the disappearance to the Gardaí, which is the Irish police. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have an issue with that because it looks like it should be said Gardaí or Gardai. Yeah. But it's Gardaí. Uh, Louise protested, saying, um, nothing. I don't know why I said saying. I meant to say something completely different. What did you mean to say? Louise protested, but they went ahead with a report on June 1st. (laughs) She protested saying nothing. Saying nothing. I don't know why I even said that. It it was a silent strike, that's all. Sure. Ten days later, a woman named Christine Murphy and her family were having a picnic close to the Sally Gap in County Wicklow when she came close to something over 
a bank at the side of the road at Old Bully, which is a hotel. The geography of this case confuses me a lot. Yeah. So there's a an hour-ish, hour and a half difference between from Dublin to Wexford, and Old Bully is definitely in Wexford County, but where County Wicklow and County Wexford meet is nowhere near Old Bully. Then, wait, what? I know, which made me very confused. So I think they meant to say... So the Sally Gap is a long stretch of road. It's like one of those scenic drives. Mm-hmm. So Oh, there's a lot of those. Right, right. So it was one of those that came, went through like County uh, Wicklow into County Wexford. So I think okay. they started there, ended up near Old Bully, and they were having a picnic there. Okay. When Christine Murphy saw something, she first thought it was animal remains before realizing it was a human torso. No! Yeah. The same day, oh. two walkers and at Glen McNass Waterfall saw what they originally thought were animal organs on a rock. A total yeah. of 15 body parts, including a head and hands, which were found in a black plastic bag, were found at nine separate locations over a 30-kilometer range in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains between... June 10th and June 14th. I originally added, like, what body parts were found where, but it was extremely gruesome, and I didn't feel like that this week. Like, I mean, serious. It was like... Yeah. Uh, no. No, mm. no. That, yeah, no. Mm. Uh, like, there was one part that was truly terrifying to think about. Anyway, if you really want to know, go check out that article in the Irish Examiner um, by Alison O'Rourdon. Okay. I don't really want to know, so yeah. listeners, if you really want to know. really want to know. <laughs> Guardy originally thought, Guardy, Irish police. Guardy. Guardy. Uh, it's very weird because they don't call them the Guardy or they call them or the, the Guardy, police. They yeah. call them Guardy. So it throw, it's going to throw me off a lot. Guardy initially thought the remains belonged to a man in his 20s due to the initial measurements of like the bones. Mm-hmm. And former deputy state pathologist Dr. Michael Curtis performed postmortem autopsies on the body parts recovered and found that the then unknown victim's head was struck a minimum of three blows with a solid object, obviously meaning blunt force trauma to the head yeah. was the cause of death. There weren't any defensive wounds. There was a knotted area of a black plastic bag that the head and hands were in that was tested for DNA, but it was insufficient to get a profile. That sucks. June 12th, 2017, Garda PJ Foley noticed a man in the waiting room of Rathfarnham's Garda station. He was sitting alone and seemed nervous. Eventually, he made his way to the front desk and said he wanted to speak to someone. Bouch. He told Garda Foley that the body parts found up in the mountains were 61-year-old Patricia Connor. Oh. The man was Kiernan Green, Louise's partner. Mm-hmm. In several voluntary statements on June 12th and 13th, 2017 with Gardy, he told Detective Sergeant Lucy Miles that he had done something terrible and said, that stuff up in the mountains was me. So specific. Very specific. That stuff. In the mountains. In the mountains. The stuff in the mountains, that was me. I mean, at this point, it was such big news, like, and it was so, 
gruesome that he did not need to explain. Yeah. As soon as he said that stuff up in the mountains. Yeah. He went on to describe his time living with the O'Connor family as a nightmare. Mm. He claimed that Patricia had wanted them all dead, down to the kids. No! Saying that he believed she tried to kill her husband, Gus, by pushing him down the stairs. He also said that she was incredibly verbally abusive, calling them all, including calling them all leeches. Threatened to have his whole family killed, and that the kids in the house would hide under the kitchen table in fear of her. Mm. As for how she died, when asked why he killed her, he claimed that as he was getting out of the shower... Patricia came into the room and started yelling at him before grabbing one of the kids' hurleys, hurley stick, hurling. You know, like, oh, like, hurling. Yeah, like the sport. Hurling. Okay, yeah. Uh, one of those sticks. I heard hurley. I was like, what's yeah, they a call hurley, them hurley stick? sticks. Really? Yeah. I know. He. Oh, it was like she picked up a hurley, and I'm like, what the fuck is a hurley? I looked. It's a hurling stick. Is it like a? Is it like a brand? No, that's what it's called. No. Yeah. They literally call it a hurley stick. Yeah. Okay. So he, so she grabbed that and started hitting him. He claimed that he grabbed it from her and started hitting her back. And the next thing he remembered is coming around and she's lying on the floor with blood everywhere. Typical excuse. Typical. Yeah. He was, un- she was unresponsive. So he carried her upstairs to her room, which he described as a quote, bleeding miracle as she was heavier than him. Yeah. An hour later, he put her in the trunk of her Toyota Corolla and drove to Wexford, where he buried her body in a shallow grave. But he started to panic a few days later, thinking maybe a farmer would come across her body, so he went back to Wexford to dismember her body and scattered the body parts and tools in the mountains. He can he said he confessed because he was eating him up inside and he couldn't live with the guilt. He likely story. Mm-hmm. He also mm-hmm. claimed he was the only one involved with the murder and disposal. Mm. Sure. On June 13th, 2017, Patricia's remains were identified. One source said using her dental records, another said by comparing DNA to Louise, one said both. Either way, that same day, Karen Green led Gardy to a field near Blackwater in Wexford County where he had buried the body, where they found brown hair and a piece of fabric with a floral pattern in the shallow grave. Green said he... (laughs) I just... Insane. Wow. Um, Green said he felt free after burying her because now his kids would be safe. So naturally, he was arrested for murder and said he said it was self-defense. Are we sure the kids were safe? Because... It, it gets very weird. Not kid-wise, but with everyone else involved. Okay. So during the investigation, Gardy examined CCTV footage from a neighbor's house. The cameras cover the front and back of the O'Connor house, which personally I would not like. I would be very pissed if I found out somebody was filming my front and backyard. But in this case, it came in handy and it was not illegal. So the footage showed Louise, Stephanie, and the younger children leaving the house at 6.53 p.m. and not returning until 9.04 p.m. on May 29th. The footage then showed a female dressed in a hooded jacket leaving the front entrance at 9.34 and walking quickly down the driveway with a suitcase. At 10.05 p.m., a female with a suitcase (laughs) appeared at the left-hand side of the house and went in the back door. Oh! Oh! (laughs) Female as in the certain female who was married to the... What's-his-face? 
No? Mm-mm. Oh. When Gardy showed Louise some of this footage, which showed the view of the back of their home, she seemed surprised, but more than that, she was angry. She started going off about how it should be against the law to film someone's house and how it was an invasion of privacy, all this stuff. But when Stephanie O'Connor was interviewed, her older daughter that lived with them, mm-hmm. she seemed very well aware of the neighbor's camera and what areas it filmed. All of this led investigators to the obvious conclusion that Stephanie O'Connor dressed as her grandmother that night to cover up her murder. I don't know how obvious that was, but yes. Okay. That, yeah, that was the conclusion that investigators determined. Why? Just wait. Okay. September 2017, Louise, Stephanie, and Gus were all arrested on suspicion of murdering Patricia, as well as Louise O'Connor's ex-partner and Stephanie's father, Keith Johnston. Louise said she didn't understand why she was being arrested. They already had the person who confessed. She also said that her mother was really hard to live with since she had retired, that she would tell Louise and Stephanie every day that they should have been aborted and called them the arsler. Why? Why the arsler? I don't, I don't know. Louise also claimed her mother had tried to beat the head off her with a teapot on the day of the murder and that they argued about Patricia smoking marijuana. What a this, thing she's, to argue about. I know. She said despite all of this, she still loved her mother, and it was really tough. <laughs> Louise's version of events May 29th were as follows. She went with her children and father to Nutgrove Park because she didn't want to fight with her mother. Mm-hmm. She couldn't say the exact time they all got home, but claimed she was in the bathroom when she heard her mother leave and had no clue where she was going. Okay. When asked why Green was seen on CCTV footage closing the curtains when she and the children left for the park, she asked why they were asking her and said maybe he was dancing around naked after the shower. Because that's what we all do. <laughs> of course. She she, she could have just get, gone with the like obvious option of like it was almost 7 o'clock and it was getting dark. Mm-hmm. So he closed the curtains. I don't know. She also denied that the person recorded walking out of the front door at nine at 9.43 p.m. was Stephanie. She was adamant that it was her mother, and if her mother had been dead when she got home, she would have, quote, punched Kieran's lights out. Okay. But she also said that two weeks after that night, Kieran, Kieran confessed what he had done to her. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We'll get into it in a second. But a lot of this info came out during the interviews and eventually the trial. First, in order to paint Green during the trial, to paint Green as a person incapable of murdering Patricia, his counsel kind of decided to make him look like an imbecile (laughs) and point the finger at Louise. Oh, well, that's not, that's, mm. unless she did it and then, yeah, but we'll see. They got Richard... They got Richard O'Connor to agree that he had in the past described Green as a fool and a moron, and that Louise wore the trousers in the relationship. They also had Green's mother testify that she'd had her son assessed at seven years old, and he was found to be about two and a half years behind. She also said that he had not had a girlfriend before Louise, so it's very clear that they're suggesting he was manipulated into murdering Patricia or falsely confessing. Mm. It was the prosecution's case that Patricia was murdered between 6.37 p.m. and 6.57 p.m. on May 29th. It was the state's case that in order to cover up the murder, Stephanie dressed up as her grandmother as a ruse to pretend she had stormed off. 
The prosecution was adamant that Patricia was already dead at the time she was supposed to be storming out, meaning that if the jury was satisfied that that was the truth, Mm -hmm. then Louise had lied when she said she heard her mother yelling and leaving the house because she would have already been dead at that point. Oh, no. Yeah. As for Stephanie, she said Patricia had retired a year earlier and didn't leave the house often, meaning she had good days that were great and bad times when she was terrible. She also said that it was surreal when the truth came out and Green confessed and she learned what happened. Stephanie also confessed that she was the person recorded going into the house with a suitcase at 10.05 p.m. So she said she was the person going in the house, but not the person leaving. Okay. She said she was bringing in a bag from the shed for Louise, but couldn't remember how she got out there. There was also no CCTV footage to show how how she she got got out there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Richard O'Connor also identified Stephanie as the person going in the back of the house. Stephanie denied that she had killed or assisted anyone in killing her grandmother. Her father, Keith Johnston, said he was aware of a big blow up on the home. On the home. At the home. (laughs) At the home on May 29th, and that he fixed a step and tiles in the bathroom. He thought when he was doing that that he could potentially be cleaning up a crime scene. Like there was a nagging thought in the back of his head. But he. <laughs> Could, yeah, nah, nah, it's not. Maybe. Eh. Could be. During the, <laughs> During the trial, the prosecution showed CCTV footage of Green purchasing tools and other items in the company of Keith Johnston in several shops on June 9th, 2017. Mm. Among those were 30 extra strong black trash bags, two pairs of builder's gloves, a tenon saw, and two adjustable hacksaws. But the trash bags could literally just be being used as trash bags or as, like, leaf lawn bags. Uh, I'm not done. Okay. He also purchased two small axes and and knife blades in one store, two pairs of size 9 green Wellington boots in another, and a jerry can, a tow rope, two knives, and vinyl tape in another. The prosecution argued that Patricia had not been dismembered when Johnston assisted green in purchasing these okay when interviewed johnston said he went on a shopping spree with green the day before the remains were found but said he didn't know why green wanted those items for the heck he of also it. <laughs> just for uh, the heck of it everyone needs for the heck of it. to have weapon i need some knife blades a hacksaw yeah. um new shoes a bunch of trash bags some duct tape you know that chainsaw that's that they used to cut pelvic bones? Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Johnston also said he was at the family home on June 12th when Green broke down and said he had killed Patricia and said he told Green he would have to turn himself in. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets even crazier. How, okay, but how can it get crazy? Continue, because I need to know how it gets crazier than this. December 12th, 2017, six months after confessing, Green asked to speak with Gardy to get something off his chest. Mm-hmm. Green claimed that he that what he originally told Gardy wasn't correct and that others were involved in, in the murder. His new story was similar for the most part, yeah. but there were some pretty big differences. Patricia attacked him with a hurley stick and he tried to fend her off, but he only got a few hits in before she got it back and hit him in the stomach, causing him to fall on the ground. 
and that's when Gus came downstairs to make her back off. But Green claimed that Patricia swung the Hurley at Gus, but missed, which is when Gus hit Patricia twice on the head with a crowbar that suddenly appeared out of nowhere, and she fell to the floor. Oh. Yeah. Green said Gus told him, I'm defending you, so you can take the rap for this. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's he said, how that works. <laughs> yep. He said they panicked and brought the body upstairs, and a few minutes later, Green said they told Louise what happened. She told them they couldn't leave the body there, so they brought her back down and put her in the trunk of the car. Green got a shovel and drove to Wexford, where he buried her, and said that when he returned, Louise was cleaning the bathroom. That's when he told her that Patricia had been buried. Green also told Gardy that Keith Johnson was a was informed a day or two later, and he asked him for some help, as he had never been in this predicament before. Really? Had never been in the predicament before? Yeah. After going on their shopping spree, he said he and Johnson drove to Wexford and dug up the body, where Johnston spent three to four hours dismembering the body with a saw before they disposed of the parts in the mountains. He, <laughs> Johnston later disposed of the tools in Daughter Valley Park and burnt the clothes that they had worn. Gardy searched Daughter Valley Park on January 2nd, 2018, and did find two hacksaws and a hatchet in the undergrowth. One of the hacksaws had human hair caught in the blade, which was forensically linked to Patricia. Oh. Yeah. Looks like someone's finally telling the truth. But no DNA was recovered from the tools. But the story matches... Yeah. A few days after her- well, kind of. A few days after her body had been dismembered, Johnston came to the house and scraped the grout out of the tiles in the bathroom and painted the walls in the house. Green also said Stephanie had dressed as- dressed up as her grandmother to make it look like Patricia had stormed off, and said that he was persuaded to take the blame for killing and dismembering Patricia, and said he felt like it was- he was set up because Louise- started going out with Johnston again after he went to prison. <laughs> he said, it's not fair. I'm facing a murder trial. They're out there and I'm taking the rap for it. Sounds like he's yeah. a little bitter, but... A jury of six men and five women agreed with the prosecution that Green attacked Patricia and that his claim of self-defense didn't hold any water. The state argued that his December interview wasn't reliable and that he had changed his account because he was jealous. On top of that, there was evidence that Johnston's cell phone proved he was home the night Green alleged he helped dismember the body. A charge of refurbishing the bathroom in order to conceal evidence of the murder against Johnston was was withdrawn from the jury. The jury was told, however, that Gus O'Connor was originally part of the trial, but pled guilty to reporting his wife as a missing person when he knew he when he knew she was dead. Mm. Yeah. Wow, sounds like the whole family had an issue there. Yes, and that is actually all I have. He uh, took the rap for all of it, and from what I could find, I couldn't find anything current on whether or not they were, because a lot of, some of this actually came from earlier this year, the trial did. So, um... I couldn't find a lot on whether or not they were in prison, if they had been convicted or anything like that, other than um, the fact that Gus had pled guilty. Well, we will just have to keep everyone up to date. And if I can find anything between 
now and the next time we record, I'll definitely update it because that was some wild shit. That really was some wild, wild. Yeah. Don't roller coaster. <laughs> yes. 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 Whew. Okay. All right. So Rachel. So Grace. Your story is Loftus Hall. Yay! I actually heard this um, on another podcast. Real life ghost stories, like a long, like months and months and months ago. But I remember none of it. I'm just gonna say they probably did a better job. My sources are uh, loftushall.ie, allthat'sinteresting.com, smithsonianmag.com, ancientorigins.net, and irishcentral.com. Oh, and an episode of Ghost Adventures, of course. So, the story of Loftus Hall begins in 1170 AD when Norman Knight Raymond Legras Fitzgerald landed at Baggin Bun Head in the Hook Peninsula. At 11... 60? 70. 1170. Long time ago. That's a long time ago. Long time ago. Yes. Raymond then changed his name to Redmond to adapt an Irish identity. Mm. He acquired the land in the area and built a castle known as Houseland Castle. Over the years, the castle apparently fell into disrepair, so descendants of the family decided to build a new castle called the Hall, or Redmond Hall. The new castle remained with the Redmond family until the mid-1600s, when, during the Irish Confederate Wars, the castle was repeatedly attacked and eventually seized by the Cromwellian confiscations. Alexander Redmond actually received favorable terms from Cromwell when, on July 20th, 1642, he, his two sons, two soldiers, some tenants, and a tailor staved off attacks from around 90 English invaders. Around Redmond's death in 1651, his family was evicted from the hall and their home was put up for auction. Ooh, that sucks. It really does. In 1666, Henry Loftus from Yorkshire, England, acquired the lands and castle, which he then renamed Loftus Hall. The Loftus family quickly rose in ranks. They produced barons, viscounts, earls, and marquises. With this quick rise in aristocracy, the family hoped that they could entice Queen Victoria to visit their home. John Henry Loftus, who was the fourth Marquis of Ely, began an enormous renovation of the hall between 1870 and 1879 to make it even grander than it was before, and no expense was spared. The hall boasts a very ornate mosaic floor and a grand staircase that was hand-carved by Italian craftsmen. Ooh. To the dismay of the family, despite the beautiful renovations, the queen did not pay them a visit, and the family was left with a massive death. Death. <laughs> I was like, death? If the death. queen doesn't visit you, you have to die? Apparently. <laughs> oh, man. No. Debt. A massive debt. Following... I, I just... I really love that, um... That, that was, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. That, like, if you had, like, a grand... Uh, if you built a grand castle or um, manor that... The queen it was visited a you. genuine possibility that the queen might call, like, just drop by. She might just be like, hey. She just wanted to go out fancy for fancy ass her... place. As if she doesn't live in, like, the, the fucking fanciest place. Yeah. place. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just when she wants to take her... 
Sunday afternoon carriage ride through the hillside. Oh, yeah, you know, all the way to Ireland. <laughs> all the way to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Following John Henry Loftus's death in 1889 and his mother's death only a year later, the now bankrupt estate was put up for sale. In 1917, Loftus Hall was bought by the Benedictine Order of Nuns, who were there for 18 years. It was then taken over by the Sisters of Providence as a school for girls, who were interested in joining the order until 1980. Well, the early 1980s. The castle was then reopened in 1983, when it was purchased by Michael Derva, who turned the hall into Loftus Hall Hotel. This was only in business until the early 1990s. Um, the Devereux family continued to own the castle until late 2011, when it was sold to the Quigley family. Quigley! Quigley. <laughs> the Quigleys have since put tremendous effort in the restoration of the castle and its grounds, even opening it up for house and ghost tours in 2012. Mm-hmm. And... This year, 2020, the Quigleys have decided to put the castle up for sale for a cool $2.87 million. That's it? That is it. However, before you pull out your checkbooks and write that fraudulent check, just know that the family is looking (laughs) for someone who will put time and effort and love into the old building and finish restoring it to its rightful beauty. I was going to say, I've seen smaller properties with smaller houses go for 4.5. Yeah. So... Um, so now we will move on to the legend that makes this place just so damn popular. Can we buy it? <laughs> no! I don't want to be in debt and not even be able to go to the place. No, but see, we would be in debt there. It's still debt. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're just going to rewind a couple hundred years um, to around the late 1600s. Charles Tottenham married Anne Loftus, who was the daughter of the first Viscount Loftus. The two had six children, four boys and two girls, Anne and Elizabeth, of course, because she named her daughter after herself like I would. That is so com- That used to be so common. Like, my uh, great-aunt is named after my great-grandmother. Really? Yeah. That's... And so I was named after my great-grandmother. Um Huh. If I were to have children, I would not name them after me, but. <laughs> but that's actually really interesting, because I don't think anyone in my family did that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because it used to be super common that daughters were named after their mothers. mothers. Yeah, but not anymore. But then, yeah. Things happen. Should um, be a thing. You have to have a Rachel the second. Mm, I don't like my name enough for that. However, Anne Loftus became extremely ill, eventually losing to her illness while the two girls were very young. Two years later, Charles then married his cousin Jane Cliff, and the two lived together with young Anne in Loftus Hall. As the story goes, during one frightful storm at sea that was just hitting landfall, so you know it was like attacking the coast and blah blah blah, uh, strong winds, almost freezing rain pouring from the sky. A mysterious, dark stranger approached the hall after his ship was forced into the nearby Slade Harbor. The hash-slinging slasher. The hash-slinging slasher. The Tottenham family did not find this to be unusual because, one, duh, the storm. Two, because the hall is literally on the shoreline and has been used many a times by sailors as a safe house during such brutal storms. I think that's good. Yes. 
I would feel agree. like if you're gonna have a giant ass place like that, you might as well do some good with it. Yes. They offered the man shelter, and he spent many days with the Tottenhams, growing increasingly closer, in fact, to young lady Anne Tottenham. Ooh. Oh yeah, they. they you know ha- what this reminds they me? They had fun. What it's what does that remind you of? This reminds me of uh, our second episode. It reminds you of the second episode. Scotland. What's it I cover in Scotland? Um, in the history you talked about, um, the, uh, McDonald clan. Oh, yeah, the McDonald's. And how they, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big part of the Scottish Highlands, yeah. In fact, the poor girl had fallen head over heels for him. She spent countless hours socializing, socializing, socializing. with him in the hall's tapestry room. Socializing. Socializing. (laughs) If anyone asks you if you want to socialize, Grace. The answer was already no before this, but, um, you know. I know. Um, okay. One night, as the stranger and his family sat down to play and his family, yeah. <laughs> I was like, he brought a family and she, they're, ha- they're socializing in the tapestry room? She's bold. He's bold. <sighs> as the stranger and the family sat down to play cards and accidentally dropped a card or, by some accounts, her ring and went under the table to fetch it. However, while bending down to retrieve said dropped object, Anne noticed that the dark stranger had cloven hooves instead of feet. Oh my god. Oh my god. She screamed loudly, bolting up from under the table. Apparently- I legitimately forgot about that. Yeah! That is like the entire reason I picked the story. Apparently, as soon as the stranger realized Anne had seen this, he revealed himself as the devil and shot straight up through the ceiling of the roof in a ball of flames. Oh, what if she still wanted to socialize? (laughs) She she probably still do want to socialize. (laughs) Thunder erupted as the stranger burst through the roof. Socialize. (laughs) (laughs) Leaving behind a cloud of smoke and the smell of sulfur. Just like that, the stranger was never seen again. Yeah, you don't really want to socialize with someone who smells like farts. <laughs> Rotten eggs. <laughs> <laughs> but Anne could not recover from what she had seen. She fell into a state of shock and madness. Her mental state quickly deteriorated, and her family was forced to lock her in the tapestry room for fear of embarrassment. Of course. I don't know why I'm so shocked. Yeah, it's this is this is the 16. Um, only a few years later, Anne passed away. However, her passing wasn't a release for her. Many servants and family members report to have seen Anne wandering the halls at night. The family apparently had a local priest exercise the castle. However, he was unable to exercise the tapestry room. But this is a legend, though. However, there was always, almost always, some truth to legends, myths, rumors. Right. One account says that the stranger also fell in love with Anne. He had asked Charles for her hand in marriage, but was ultimately refused. He was forced to leave the house, leaving poor Anne heartbroken. In one twisted turn of events, however, during a 
restoration of Loftus Hall, the skeletal remains of an infant were found buried in the walls. Oh, and actually, I forgot about that too. Yeah, and actually, the wall that it was found in was rumored to be the room, like between the room that Anne had been locked up in. So, this is actually sort of kind of backed up by another local account that claims Anne died during childbirth because her father didn't want anyone knowing that she was pregnant. Um. As for the hauntings, many believe that the hall is indeed haunted, even more so since a visitor came forward in 2014, believing to have taken a picture of two ghostly figures looking out at him from a window. It's actually a very um, interesting picture. I'll have to show it to you later. And then, of course, our favorite paranormal team, Ghost Adventures, visited the hall in season 10, which, what season are we on now? So that was a while ago. And... 15? Nope, never mind. I'm thinking of Supernatural. Yeah, I'm thinking of Supernatural, yeah. Ghost Adventures is 20, like 22, something like that. Yeah. The, The episode is a hoot. It's a hoot and a holler. So, Mr. Aiden Quigley... Who was Quigley? I don't know why, but just the name of Quigley. Quigley reminds me of theater so bad. <laughs> why? Because we did that play, The Wannabes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the director's name was Mrs. Quigley. I thought it was Quigby. I thought it was Quigley. I don't know. You, I it don't was remember something. anything from high school. <laughs> I was in one of, one of the big roles in there, and I don't even remember it. So. Yeah. I was... I was a bitch. <laughs> I was Josephine. I don't remember my name. I was the understudy. And then I actually got to be in it. <laughs> so I was happy. I don't, I don't even remember how I learned my lines, so I don't know if I actually remembered my lines. It, you shared the role with... With Tori. Tori. Yeah. I yeah. miss Tori. Me too. Anyway, Mr. Aiden Quigley, the owner of Loftus Hall, told Zach of one occasion he remembered where it seemed as if the negative energies in the hall affected a person. He claimed it was almost an animalistic type of aggression, according to him, right, according to him, for security purposes, they have IR cameras in the house, like all over the house. Would one say it's goat-like? No, I saw the video. It's not goat-like. <laughs> that was funny. It was funny, but no. During one particular tour, the lights went out. And, you know, you've got people on the radio saying, hey, lights are out, what's going on, what do we need to do? And in the pitch black of the room, this guy just lunges at a woman, grabbing no. her by the neck and pushing her to the ground. No. Everyone scattered as security, who were literally watching the video, ran through the door, got the man off the woman, and pinned her down. Many, many workers at the uh, hall attribute this act of violence to the evil in the house. Dang. There was also... It would have to be something wildly, like, I to attack somebody, like, with so many people around you. Right. Even in the pitch black, because you will right. hear the scream, you will hear the scuffle, and someone will try to tear you apart. Yeah. There were also several religious statues in the house. And oh, I'd imagine. Fun, fun story. Almost all of these religious statues have been kept decapitated over time. 
Oh, what? This is also attributed to a demonic entity within the house. Because you know, Christ, devil, don't mesh. I want to say maybe it's just like a kid that's been like, they just had kids and it like knocked over statues. Maybe, maybe, I, mm, I mm, have mm-hmm. no real explanation other than stuff just fell over. During the first part of the investigation, when, where the team basically does, you know, their introduction, Zach has the team shut off the lights so that they can end this segment. And I should be specific, they shut off the lights on the camera. Mm. So, you know, the camera, the image is completely black on the video. However, they leave the audio recording for obvious reasons. Yeah. When they capture, what they capture in this audio is Zach going batshit crazy, screaming, shut up, and various other fragments of sentences that I just could not understand what he was saying. What? They then began rolling the cameras again to make sure that he is okay, because, you know, when he starts acting like this, it's a little scary. Yeah. He's standing there huffing and puffing, saying, I don't know what just happened. He apparently had visions when the lights went out of a car driving up the driveway of the property and the owner, Aiden, driving. All Zach could hear was get him off the property. Super sketch. Nick then has Zach stay in that room while he and Aaron go back to Nerve Center. Zach, of course, has calmed down as nothing, you know, is happening, until he gets a call from the rest of the guys saying that there is a banging coming from the tapestry room. A banging. There, I are. I believe it's called socializing. <laughs> the, the socializing coming from the tapestry room. Mm-hmm. Their IR camera then captures an orb right after the banging noise. And I should also mention that the orb was in the same spot that the bones of the infant were found. Oh. Nick and Aaron then bring in a spirit box to try and communicate with anything in the room. A female voice comes through seemingly crying or saying, help me. And it does actually sound like a female voice saying, help me, but you know, it's just kind of faint, like, I don't even know how to describe it, like a radio station that's not quite coming all the way through. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. So... After all of this is going on, they then hear some noises coming from the second floor. And on one of the cameras they have stationed on the staircase, they see an orb going up the stairs and literally rounding the banister and continue going up. Uh, Like, that is such an odd motion to follow. Yeah, that's not something that a bug would do or that dust would do. No, 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 no. So, Zach then follows the sounds and the orbs that lead him to the second floor. Which, um, by the way, this part is completely off-limits to tourists. Right. Mr. Quigley claimed that these are the more active areas, and he avoids them in order to respect the spirits. Kind of a big no-no. I live in a home and not go into whole-ass parts of it. (sighs) A lot of people do. There's a difference between respecting the spirits in your home and feeling like you can't go into a certain area of your home look but a lot of people don't use certain parts of their homes i that's yeah uh, i know it's like unheard of for us but like that's what it's there for yeah so once zach is up on the second no he went up to the third floor he heard a loud banging coming from one of the rooms which not gonna lie was kind of creepy especially in the dark 
and at 10.30 at night while I was writing this. Uh, He then heard a voice or moan coming from the complete opposite of of the hallway. So this voice was actually faintly captured on the camera's audio, which you have to think, it had to be pretty loud if it was captured on a camera's audio. Yeah. Because that frequency does not always pick up certain things. Zach said that it sounded like an old lady saying, don't help me, but... That sounds very old lady <laughs> It really does. But to me, it it just sounded like mumble was like... Mm. Oh. That's, it sounded, that's what it sounded like to me. And I was wondering when it comes to recordings like that, I wonder if it sounds different in person than it does... And it might. On Yeah, on camera or like in recording. Yeah. And it might, because I can tell you for a fact, the way that I sound to myself right now does not sound the same when I'm going back and listening. Yeah, because I feel like I sound so much more impassioned and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But when I listen back, oftentimes I feel like I'm weird parts of, like, high-pitched and monotone. (laughs) So, you know. You gotta find the right level. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Zach then asks the spirits to make a noise. But they did something better. They moved a door. Uh, and it was inside of the camera that he was holding. He tries to debunk it, but there are no air vents, no open windows, and the door is... It's an old door, so it's super so it's duper heavy. heavy. Like, very heavy. So, obviously, he's now in this room. He's investigated. He's, like, sitting this far away from the door. And he's like... Move the door again. <laughs> that's that is what I was expecting for it to just slap him, slap him in the face because he's he's standing there, right? But instead, something leads him on a wild goose chase down the hall with more odd noises, which he follows because it's it's Zach. Of he course, follows yes. Him. I mean, it's it's literally his job. It's, it's his job. He then asks if Lady Anne. If she's there, and if she will show a sign to him. Oh, so he was respectful in this one. Yes. What's funny is that he was, like, doing selfie mode. He had his camera here. It was facing Mm -hmm. him. And behind him, he captured the faint image of a miss passing through a doorway. No! It was great. The team then comes back together and sets up a card game to recreate the legend. I have to say, this is my favorite part of the episode here because I love this technology. Um, So the technology they use is pretty much the kind that maps out spirits or inhuman entities. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one that you're talking about. Um, Where it's like little points and a stick figure. Yes, and then it becomes a stick figure. They use that one in the the Joe Exotic episode. Yes, yes. That is my favorite bit of technology. Um, My other favorite bit that is also semi-incorporated into this is like the little dots. Yes. On the walls that you can like see things moving. That wasn't used, but (laughs) kind of similar. Anyway, when... Nick demands that the spirit come sit down beside him. The camera maps a figure standing on Aaron's shoulder. No! Like, just standing right on his shoulder. Like, his little angel. It was his his... left shoulder or his right shoulder? Well, okay, so he was hunched over like this. Uh Uh-huh. And it was standing, like, right here. So that's right. No, like, 
on his shoulders, like both. Oh, like right on like his. Like right okay. on okay, his. Okay. The little hump on your back. <laughs> <laughs> the hump, whatever that's called. <laughs> Where your neck meets your back. <laughs> Where your neck meets your back, which is technically the shoulders. Shoulders, yes. <laughs> Zach then asks the figure if it can raise its hand, and it does. <sighs> oh. Which is always my favorite part. As the figure is still standing on Aaron, Aaron is being noticeably affected. It's, like, draining him super bad. Mm. Zach then asks the figure to spread its legs, and it does kind of cowboy style. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, like kind of like the plie ballet moves. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, without, like, the hand movements, just the legs. Boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> And noticing how badly this is affecting Aaron, Zach then requests the spirit to leave, and it does disappear off of the camera screen. But then it comes right back and stand on stands on Aaron's head. Right as he like, says, "You don't want me here. I'm back." Right. Yeah. And right as he says, "I'm so tired." Aaron then felt a hand rub straight up his arm, and soon after this, he had to leave. And began throwing up outside. Like, this really took a lot out of him. Shit. But it does seem like the team caught a lot of evidence. Although, I'm not sure if what's there is Anne or if it's demonic. But... If it's a baby. Or if it's a baby. Or if it's... I don't know. It was a pretty short thing standing on top of Aaron. (laughs) Ah. But that is the story of Loftus Hall, and I really hoped you enjoyed the legend because that's my favorite part of the story. I did. That's so wild. And I almost don't know which one I want to be more true or if I want it if I want it to be some sort of mixture of the two. I have to say personally, I want it to be a mixture of the two because while it's semi the interesting the Antichrist. The baby. Oh, well. Yeah. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. If you did, if you did not, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Myths Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. And please check out our website. It's mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Adkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And please don't forget to rate, review, review and subscribe. subscribe. I don't know. That was weird. <laughs> that was weird. Like I just made... Okay. Anyway, uh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye.